If you're standing in the ocean and imagine that you're just getting hounded by the waves, that's what it felt like when I was in my darkest moment. I just felt like I was getting pummeled by the waves. But with this mindfulness practice, allowing that darkness to be in my body, can I allow it? Can I befriend it even and be open to it and have curiosity, really exploring it? So a lot of times we run away. But when we get to know what is going on in our body, it's not as scary. Over time, it takes time. (laughs) But when you practice and you practice and you practice, the waves get smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's not to say that you're not going to have those highs and those lows. They might still be present, but the way you react to them is different. So instead of being super reactive and feeling like very small, and you're getting hounded by the waves. Instead, you can take a breath, notice, allow. And when we step back, we realize the wave's really not that big. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and this is the place where we dive in and share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. From doctors to athletes, authors, and yogis, there are no limits to who can grace this audience with their presence because you guys, we are all here on purpose for the purpose to bravely share our gifts. We know beyond doubt that this show has been a guide to many, and we encourage you all to stay in deep inquiry in regards to your greatness because if you haven't realized it yet, just know that it is patiently waiting for you to unwrap it. Our intent is to go beneath the surface talk and bring meaningful conversations to the endurance sports world. Through the generosity and the vulnerability of our guests, it is our hope that no one ever feels alone again. In the over 200 episodes of this show, I believe it has shown time and again that it doesn't matter who we are, what titles, degrees, or professions that we choose in this life. At our essence, we are the same. We are spiritual beings. We are limitless, all-knowing, ever-powerful beings trying to figure out how to be human. We are subject to insecurity, injury, trauma, fear, doubt, disappointment, sickness, sadness, happiness, joy, connection, and love. Being human is all the feels. And being an athlete, well, I think that just takes everything up a notch or 10. BJ and I are really excited about our conversation today. Danielle Mack is a triathlon coach, mentor, meditation and mindfulness educator, and recently retired professional triathlete who woke up to her self-induced suffering and has chosen the path of meditation and mindfulness as her teacher. She is going in every day to seek the answers because through hardship and heartbreak, she has realized that the answers, that her happiness, that her success will never be found in the external. Danielle is walking the path, and I believe she would agree that everything she has experienced, from a devastating diagnosis in the height of her career, to the realization of a lifelong dream to race the Ironman World Championship as a professional, has all been orchestrated in divine perfection on her behalf. Her career as an age group triathlete is more than impressive, including world champion status at Ironman and 70.3 distances. As a professional, she claimed three Ironman wins, including course records and victories, where she went from last at a T1 to first at the finish line. Her achievements are countless in the world of triathlon, but none of it could save her from the greatest fight of her life, which led her to the freedom of where she sits today. 
Danielle is blessed with incredible talent, unwavering passion, determination, and focus to realize her dreams. And when I look at those qualities, I see a spiritual warrior just waiting to awaken, just like so many of you. And today, you guys, we get to share this amazing woman with you all. Danielle, thank you so much for being here with us. Wow. Thank you so much, Jess and BJ. I am so excited to be here. And thank you for that beautiful opening. My goodness. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's all just a reflection of you. I mean, it really is. I'm, I'm so excited about the work that you are doing, that you're educating yourself on, that you're you're doing within and bringing to the world of, of endurance sports. I mean, this is Girl, you are living off the front and leading the charge. This is a really exciting place to be, and never has there been a better time for us to be tapping into this type of energy that's within us, that's holding everything in place in perfection. I think we would be remiss if you didn't share your story, because I dropped a few tidbits in that intro, and I think that your story is so powerful because your dreams and the vision of you being a professional triathlete was was in your heart at such a young age. And you really started off your career like firecracker, just crushing it, and then received this diagnosis. And I don't want to tell this story anymore, so I want you to tell it. Start from where it feels most relevant. I started triathlon at the age of seven. I did Iron Kids. And so I really grew up in the sport. And as you mentioned, I did go to age group worlds. And it just kind of sparked this love for the sport. I love triathlon. I love it. And when I was a kid, I knew one day I was going to be a professional. And I told my mom, we were watching the Kona Ironman broadcast. I said, Mom, one day I'm going to be there. I'm going to do that race as a professional. She kind of, as a supportive mom, said, okay, okay. But kind of shook her head like, you're crazy. <laughs> Why would you yeah. want to do that? <laughs> but my parents have been super supportive. And as I grew up in the sport, it became an, an identity. I was the athlete. And as you said, I would push so hard. And I wanted those records and the times and the placements. And it mattered so much to me. And so when I finally turned professional, I was so excited. I was totally pumped. And I thought, I'm going to work harder than anyone else. I'm just going to go for it. And I did. I worked really, really hard. And as a result, in 2017, I was diagnosed with exercise-induced laryngeal obstruction. So that basically means that your vocal cords start to close in while you're exercising. So you're not getting enough air. And as a result... I wasn't able to perform to my level or perform highly at all. <laughs> I was getting very dizzy, very lightheaded. My muscles would fatigue very quickly. And it got to the point where even a shakeout run was miserable. It was very, very challenging. So somebody who's grown up in the sport, done it since I was seven years old, this was very scary. So I went and had several specialists look to see, like, what is it? And we couldn't come up with a diagnosis. Finally, I went to National Jewish Hospital here in Denver, and they finally diagnosed me with this exercise-induced laryngeal obstruction. And they basically said, we're not really sure if you're going to be able to perform at an elite level again, 
to be really honest with you, that was a very dark time. It took a lot of soul searching. I got pretty depressed and I really didn't know what was next. What would I be if I wasn't this professional athlete? And so my husband, he works at Sounds True, and he came home one day and he was just talking about this teacher certification in mindfulness that Sounds True is putting on. And he was just talking offhandedly about it because we talk about each other's days. And in my soul, in my heart, I was just raptured. I was like, what is this? I need to know more. And I just kept asking more questions. And as he was talking about it, I was more and more intrigued. Jeff, I want to be a part of this program. And he started laughing. He's like, Danielle, it's a huge investment. It's two years. You've got to do a 10-day Vipassana where you meditate 10 hours a day. He's like, you've never meditated in your life. What? You want to do this? (laughs) But like you said in the introduction, it was almost like divine intervention. It was as if God was telling me, you have to do this. And so, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to interject just a moment. Like the the throat is where our truth is. And I, I didn't, as I was reading about your story, it just hit me just then that this has been directing you towards your truth. Yes, I think so. I think you're spot on. And in that moment when you've never meditated a day in your life and this thing is speaking to you, it may have been covered up had you not had, you might've just still been like, okay, I got to do my workout. Like I'm going to hop on the bike. So, you know, I hope you had a good day. (laughs) Oh, exactly. If I hadn't had this diagnosis, if I hadn't had this sickness, I would have just kept doing what I had normally done (laughs) and thought it was okay. So I was really introduced to it out of desperation. Desperation is powerful. I mean, that's how I find, found this path. It's how BJ found this path. It, we really call it like your sucks enough moment. <laughs> like when it sucks enough, you're going to change. Yeah. That's why we're in this business to help people or to guide people to get ahead of the curve, to get ahead of that attachment. Because, you know, in my experience, I was super, super attached to a point where when it was ripped away from me, like I was told, I, you know, have to re- rehab and, and get myself back. It was like my whole identity as a triathlete was questioned. Like, who am I? Even though I was a successful web designer at a company, you know, I had a beautiful house, a dog, family. Like, who was I without swimming, biking, and running? And that's that was my sucks enough moment. And so I'm sure you were feeling some feelings of questioning your identity, your big identity. Exactly. That's exactly what my experience was. But it's hard because nobody teaches us, which is so the spiritual path, right? Like it's so the power of the divine to not give us a handbook. And we've, I don't have children, but I've heard, you know, parents say it all the time. Like these kids don't come with handbooks. You got to figure it out. And that's really what we have to do on this path to really realizing our truth. And the fact that living in desperation or living in fear or doubt or negativity it's an option that we we can we can attune ourselves to other frequencies and other ways of living but we've got to get into that the depths of the darkness you know hopefully we can help people save some time by listening to this but for me i had to get really really dark before i could before i could see the opening to that light i think that's a lot of people's experiences where they do go in that dark area. And I think part of it 
is allowing that darkness to be there. That anxiety, that fear, can you allow it to be there? Because a lot of times we're always pushing it away or running away from it. And that causes even more suffering because we're not really addressing the issue. And so can you be and can you feel internally? Can you feel in, in your body? What does fear feel like? Is it jittery? Is it heavy? Is it soft? What does fear feel like for you? Because everyone's different. But really investigate with curiosity. What is this? And non-judgmentally. So not judging it as good or bad. But, oh, fear is a human emotion. Everyone has fear. Everyone feels anxiety or stress. And so when we can offer compassion to those feelings within ourselves and understand them, we can also offer compassion and understanding to other people who might be in the same situation. Yeah. I mean, I don't regret or wish anything different in my life because I have been there too. And compassion was something I really have had to work on in my life. And I'm there's a part of me that's embarrassed to say that. And there's a part of me that feels really powerful when I say that because I definitely had the attitude of like, well, not my problem, like sucks to be you. And whoa, what a what an unloving way to live. And at the same time could always feel this part inside of me that was like, no, like you have so much love to give. You have so much to offer. But again, nobody ever taught me. So I had to, I had to figure it out. But the compassion piece is huge. You know, I, when I first started triathlon, I say like I, it was swimming with fists because if I could punch somebody, that was going to help me discharge some of the anger that I had inside of me. And endurance sports was a great way to discharge some of this energy I didn't know what to do with. And then um, ironically led me to the same place that yoga. So our, our, the way we approach meditation and mindfulness is from the teachings of yoga, um, that yoga and, and Ironman brought me to the same place just from very different, very different perspectives. And that's what I love about what the three of us are bringing to endurance sports is that we're just bridging this gap and we're bringing the gentle, the stillness, really the feminine into such a masculine uh, way of, of living and competing and training. Exactly. I mean, I think we can all agree that humans need balance in their lives. And we see that when somebody works really hard throughout the day, they need to rest. They need to recover so that they can work hard the next day. Same is true with like a hard workout. You've got to have that proper recovery. You get in your Normatec boots. You drink a recovery drink. We understand those things. But when it comes to the mind and the mental mindset, a lot of times we just think, oh, I goal set. I just strive. I have this aspiration. I, I just go for it. But in turn, we really need that balance, that open awareness, observing, like you said, being more quiet and still, just like you did with the yoga and the triathlon, combining the two, you're getting that balance. So I think, and scientifically proven, it's scientifically proven that when we meditate, we can also decrease our stress levels. We have better relationships with 
people who we work with, our families, we're able to sleep better, our athletic performance is better. So like these are all things that I would definitely want and I do want. So can you share if you can recall a moment where it was really dark before you had the tools that you have now and and what that what that was like? Oh yeah. It was very dark. So if I go into my heart, it was as if the ground was being taken out from underneath my feet. It was like this groundlessness and this heaviness as if like the world was on my shoulders and I wasn't able to like pick it up. And I felt like I was really letting down my family, my sponsors. And that was a real dark moment. I've done a lot of work with it and it really came down to feeling like I wasn't enough. And when we feel like we're being held down by that energy, it's very victimizing. Yes. And we, we look at the victim energy, it's powerlessness. Yes. And that can equal hopelessness and loneliness and isolation and all fueled by that belief that we're not enough. And it's such an interesting balance in the competition of sports and being enough. So you wrote a beautiful blog post at the beginning of this year where you announced your retirement. And you talked about how, you know, when things were going good, things were good. And when things were going bad, things were going bad. And it's these highs and lows of life, which is really the rhythm of life. This rhythm of life is highs and lows. And that's where this earth and this existence finds its balance between the highs and the lows. But again, what nobody ever taught us is that we don't have to ride those highs and lows. That we can start to, through a practice, I believe, of meditation and mindfulness, start to ride more of the neutral line. What have you learned about riding that neutral line of the highs and the lows? I mean, that was what I just described is just the words that I've come to through my own experience. Well, what is the difference between then and how you're riding those highs and lows now? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think that for me, I kind of view it as waves. And so... If you're standing in the ocean and imagine that you're just getting hounded by the waves, that's what it felt like when I was in my darkest moment. I just felt like I was getting pummeled by the waves. But with this mindfulness practice, allowing that darkness to be in my body, can I allow it? Can I befriend it even and be open to it and have curiosity, really exploring it? So a lot of times we run away. But when we get to know what is going on in our body, it's not as scary. Over time, it takes time. <laughs> but when you practice and you practice and you practice, the waves get smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's not to say that you're not going to have those highs and those lows. They might still be present, but the way you react to them is different. So instead of being super reactive and feeling like very small, and you're getting hounded by the waves. Instead, you can take a breath, notice, allow. And when we step back, we realize the wave's really not that big. 
the mind wants to make a really big deal out of a lot of things, most things, from what we're experiencing now with coronavirus to a voicemail that we don't want to listen to. And the more that we move from these feelings of resistance, constriction, pushing against what is, we give ourselves more reasons to feel that way in our life, right? And so, and I think that's why a voicemail can feel like a life-threatening event to the nervous system because we've practiced this, not because we're stupid or we don't want to live joyful lives, but it's because we've we've followed the programming of, of society. And that doesn't mean society's bad. It, it doesn't. It's a beautiful school for us to wake up because at some point, everyone's going to say, okay, enough is enough. There's got to be another way. That's right. Okay, going back to this moment when you're like, I want to do this. And your husband's like, what? You've never even meditated. Where does it lead from there? So then I decided I was going to meditate 30 minutes a day for six months in preparation for a Goinka Vipassana, which is a 10-day, 10-hour-a-day silent retreat. And that experience was truly life-changing. And I can't say that my EILO, exercise-induced laryngeal obstruction, went away. But just like we talked about with the waves, my relationship to the discomfort and the pain changed. And so the wave wasn't as big. It was a lot smaller in my life. And I can say now that I'm able to exercise at a high intensity without feeling that tension that was occurring when I would have an EILO experience. So I can feel it coming on, allow it to be there. And when you don't tense up and you don't get lost in that storyline, kind of like what you mentioned, things are able to flow and it kind of moves throughout the body and it doesn't become as big of a deal. Do you recall the first that first 30-minute meditation that you committed to? Because as an athlete, I can see it in you. I'm going to do it 30 minutes for six months. This is what we see a lot. And, and I always question them, why not? Why not just sit quietly for five minutes to start and see where today brings you in the next day? And I, I know that's the athlete and, and the, that drive. But do you recall that first time you sat down on your pillow or wherever and just sat with yourself? It was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's that competitiveness. I sat there and five minutes went by. I looked at my watch. Like, oh, that's got to be 10 minutes. <laughs> And then I kept sitting there like, oh my gosh, my back, it's killing me. And so, yes, I was very reactive. And how long do you think it took till you started to, to feel that calm? Was it, you know, five days, five weeks? And I'm, ju I'm just talking about these 30-minute um, sessions that were leading you up to that Vipassana. Like, when did you recall feeling like, oh, okay, I've, I've, I've ha I, I kind of realize what's happening here. I'm noticing my thoughts. I would say about a week before I was able to even calm myself to just focus on the breath. My mind was all over the place. And so it took about a week until I could just even sit with the breath for maybe three breaths. And then it would go off. It would wander. And then with gentleness and kindness, you say, okay, come back, come back to the breath. Maybe feel two full breaths. <laughs> and then it'd go off again. 
And so it's definitely a process and it takes a lot of time. And I would say even in that six months block, there were times where I'd come out and say, oh, wow, I was really still. And then maybe the next day, my mind was all over the place. So it's not like you master it in two weeks. It's a process. It is a process. And and we talk about this in our realm because athletes are the perfect people to be doing this because they're relentless. So when you don't achieve that perfect, right? We all have this perfect view of like, oh, meditation is going to be bliss and I'm going to come out and be Zen for 20, 23 and a half hours of the day. It's, it's a process of ups and downs. Like, and there's no good or bad meditation. It's just where are you in this moment? And as long as you continually dedicate yourself to be there, you start to unlock that calm, which will in the end morph into, you know, you're able to train again, able to race again at, at a high level. And that is where we, we sort of find the athletes have that tool already in their toolbox. Like they can be relentless, but there's that expectation and attachment to if I meditate like this, that I will feel this or improve my pace or whatever down the end. And that's even a, a bigger growth experience. So what you're saying there is is really gold. It's having those meditation sessions that don't really feel like they did anything, but show up the next day and the next day and the next day. So did you, you were doing this quietly, right? Or were you going through a guided meditation? In silence. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was just sitting there <laughs> trying to feel my breath and pay attention to my thoughts. I really had no idea what I was doing until I went to the Vipassana and got some instruction. I think that is quite possibly one of the most potent things you'll say in this whole interview is that you didn't know what you were doing. And I think the the block, the resistance to sitting is that I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it because as athletes, we want to do it right, right? We want to nail it. We want to crush it. I no different, no different. I was no different. I wanted to crush it. And it was so frustrating for me and our listeners, if they if they listen to this podcast for a while, they know that when I first started meditating, some days all I could do was scream. I would scream in meditation because I was so frustrated, but I was so willful to say, I am not getting off this cushion. Like <laughs> I am stronger than meditation. <laughs> like I am not, and I needed, I had that, I mean, really like a literal battle. And I didn't know what I was doing. I did not know when, it, when I first started, I was doing 10 minute guided meditations on YouTube because I was trying to build a business. So I was like, okay, how do you meditate yourself into money? I mean, it was so ego driven. And even when I did get a teacher who is trained trained by some pretty big, big names in the yogi world, not big names that you would think that have been on Oprah, big, big names that perhaps people have never heard of, those names. I remember thinking like, I knew he was legit, but I was just like, all right, this is good. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna sleep better. I'm not going to be so reactive, uh, but I'm still going to drink wine. I'm going to swear. I'm going to be competitive. And if I want to punch somebody on the swim, they're going to get punched. I'm just going to feel a little better about everything that I'm doing. Like I'm stronger than this whole thing. This is great. I'm going to use it to my advantage. But of course, what happens is the power of meditation is so incredibly strong that it it just it you're just you you're just like uh, you can do whatever you want with me this is so amazing like you can do whatever you want 
But we all started not knowing how to start. Yes. But we started anyway. And I think that that's a really potent message. Um, were there times during that six months where you were like, well, I could just do this. I don't really need to do the Vipassana. Like, I don't, like that's kind of scary. Did you have scary moments where you tried to talk yourself out of it? Or were you like athlete, determined, focused, like I'm going to go to Vipassana, I'm going to crush it, just like I became a professional triathlete? <laughs> it's a great question. But honestly, I was really driven because I really wanted to do this certification. And I really wanted to prove people wrong who said, you can't do that you're an athlete, you're going to sit for 10 hours and meditate. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so when someone says that inside of me goes, No, I can, I really can do this, I'm going to show them. <laughs> and so when I got there, I can tell you that day three, I didn't know what I was thinking. Why am I here? I am in so much pain. I was in excruciating pain. From sitting From still, sitting still, sitting on a mat, because they really recommend that you're not in a chair unless you really need one. And so you don't have any back support. And I, I actually went to the teacher and I told her, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like my back is killing me. And she looked me in the eye and she goes, Danielle, you're going to do this. I believe in you. <laughs> and after that, it just was like, okay, all right, I can do this. And by the end, so it took a long, a long time, but by the end, I had this experience, and I'm just telling you my experience, not everyone's, but I had this feeling of like lightning going down my throat, which was very, very powerful because of my EILO. And I was sitting on the mat. It was actually the last day, and the gong rang. We were supposed to get up, and I couldn't. I just felt so heavy. I just kept sitting there and sitting there. And it was almost like my body just unraveled and softened. And it was, I had finally surrendered. I had finally hit my edge where I stopped reacting and just allowed. And it was a really, really powerful moment. When she said to you, Danielle, I know you can do this. Do you think there was a deeper message in there? It wasn't just about not getting support for your back? Oh, yes. Was she like some older, an older woman, like who probably was like, knew you were coming to? <laughs> she mm. did know we were coming. Mm. She was in her 80s. She had white hair. She wore white gowns. She looked like an angel. And she could sit still by the hours. It was really phenomenal. At 80 years old, she sat with the best of them. And I'd look at her as inspiration and like, okay. She can do it. I can do it. <laughs> what do you think she was telling you that day? What, what, do you, what is the deeper meaning of what she was saying to you that day? Well, at the beginning of this, I told you that I really struggled with not feeling like I was enough. And I feel like her deeper meaning was, you are enough. You can do this. You can do this. I just got the chills. You know, she, gave, she, she gave you permission, right? And Yeah. And I think as coaches, that's at its essence, we're giving people permission to be who they are already. Exactly. Not who we think we are, not who we put out on social media. It's what are we at our essence deep down that wants to rise to the surface? It's already inside us. And as 
she did to you and as you're going to be doing with your athletes and community is you're you're allowing them to to be their best self despite any criticism or feelings of lack and doubt and fear that if that one little crack in the door can be wedged open then what's inside to be unleashed is just unbelievably amazing i totally agree filled with love and compassion and power, so much strength when we're our authentic self. I think as athletes, a lot of times we try to do athlete, or athletics to cover something up. And when we can actually touch into that inner self, that deeper self, that's when we're going to touch our real true athletic potential and our true innate nature, what we were born to do. It's a little cliche, but not really because it's Buddha and he's, you know, he's Buddha. he's Buddha. But when asked what has meditation, like what is what has meditation brought you? Like what what is it how how does it added to your life? And his answer was, you know, it's it's brought me nothing, but I've lost fear and I've lost jealousy and I've like, you know, I'm paraphrasing, I'm just putting words in here, but basically lost the layers that were covering up the truth, um, the layers that were causing the suffering. So just talking about this Vipassana, in retrospect, did you lose anything at that Vipassana that allowed you to gain more in your life? I lost the fear of EILO to a degree. Like it had, the story in my mind was so big and scary. And by sitting with different sensations, I was able to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, basically. So, but we would look at you as a professional triathlete and say, well, she knows how to embrace the suck, but how does it differ when you're in, when you're learning to embrace it from a place of stillness? Because it's with kindness. It's non-judgmental. A lot of times we can embrace the suck <laughs> in athletics by disassociating, by almost not being present. That's another word for disassociation, but not being there. The difference is you're super present and yet you're allowing it to be there. Super present with your pain, super present with the fear, super present with the stories and the narratives. And when I was starting on this journey, I remember this moment where I, I say like, I got onto myself. Oh my God, I'm onto myself now. I'm on to the story that I'm a victim of this or a victim of that. I'm on to the story that this person who I think is such a jerk is actually me. I am on to the story that my heart can close in less than a second and I can withhold love. I am on to myself. And when you get on to yourself, there's no looking back. Like you can't undo that. You know, you can't unsee that. Exactly. And it's, it can be rough. Did you have rough moments? Did you see things when you were getting on to yourself? Did you see things that you were like, oh. I ugh. still see things that I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> almost every day. It's like, oh, wow, I'm so reactive. Why did I react that way? And kind of noticing what does hooked feel like? What is triggered? And again, observing that observing with kindness, compassion, and then feeling it in your body. I keep saying this over and over, but like 
really, what does that feel like to be triggered? Because the sooner that we can really feel it in our body, I think you can know when it's coming on and react in a different way. It kind of orients us to make better decisions in the present moment. What is key to backing away from the reaction? What is key to like somebody who's reactive? How do they start seeing that they're reactive? You have to pause. And I think you've got to practice. It doesn't just happen. You've got to get familiar with your body, with your habitual habits, and then be really kind to yourself, really gentle, really loving. And know we all, it's human to be reactive. So instead of, oh gosh, why am I reacting again? Just, oh, I see you. I see your reaction. And yet it's okay. Yeah. I, I'm like, ooh, I see you. I see, I see you desperation. I see you insecurity. I see you unworthiness. I see you. I see you. I see you wanting my attention. I see you wanting to take over. It's not going to happen. But I see you. I love you. I thank you. Let's all just sit together and the door is open when you want to go. Yes. And then what's underneath it? Mm. A lot of times we might be fearful, but when you sit with that long enough, what is underneath fear? What is really driving that fear and checking in with your heart, that intuition, that knowing, because it will tell you. What was underneath the fear for you? What have you found underneath there? That I wasn't enough. I, I mean, I keep saying it, but that was really it. It was genuinely feeling like I was letting people down and myself down. And it didn't matter how many Ironmans you won. It didn't matter how many course records you, you took. It didn't matter. You were still not enough. Exactly. Oh, when it's an gotcha. identity, when you put your identity in sport, that was my experience. But then when mm -hmm. you find what you're really made of in your heart, it's a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, it doesn't, and then it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't exactly. matter if it's sport. It doesn't matter if you're playing with your kids or, you know, playing Lumosity on the computer. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's your relationship to whatever the activity is. And taking it one step further, like you did, this is something I say when Jess is around, I'm like, oh, I just want, I, we want to bring awareness. Like once you are aware, like notice what's happening, once you're aware. And Jess has been really great about well, what's next, like what's the next step? The next step is getting underneath it all. Like, discovering what uncovering what's underneath it yeah you can notice all you want but you can't just stop right there like noticing is the great first step but you can't hang your hat and say like oh i noticed i had that but i'm still gonna i used to say that with jess like i said that i didn't say it this time to that person but i thought it and she goes it's the same thing yeah you it's still did it thing. you, you still, still did it because you thought it but i you noticed already... i was gonna say it and i didn't say it yeah that's the first step right it's uh, but awareness changes nothing that's it yeah it, yeah. Awareness changes everything because now you're seeing, but it actually doesn't change behavior. It doesn't change anything. You've got to take the action. You've got to take that next step. That's right. And realizing you're not enough, well, what can we do next? Like, what do we do with that? Like, wh what is that? And, and how am I infecting other people with that? And, and where do I see it in myself and in others? And, and where can I learn and grow and, and help spread the, the word that you are. So that's like, that's that snowball. Like it just gets bigger and bigger when you get curious about it. 
Okay, so coming off of this, this is great. I love this. We're kind of going off and then we're threading it all together. This is great. It's podcasting. So you come out of the – when is this? When do you finish the Vipassana? Because you're still racing because you just you just recently retired, right? So well, you're still racing. So I did the Vipassana in December of – it was 2018 that I did the Vipassana. And then I had 2019, which was my last year as a professional. And I ended up qualifying for Kona at Ironman Boulder, which is my hometown race. And it had been a dream of mine since I was seven years old to go and race Kona as a professional. And I'd been professional for seven years. It took a long time (laughs) to get there. (laughs) And so when I finally got to Kona, I was pumped. I was so stoked. And as I told you at the beginning, it had been a dream since I was seven years old, a lot of sevens. When I got there, the race didn't quite unfold the way I had envisioned when I was a kid. I had a subpar swim, a subpar bike, and a really lousy run. And so on paper, you would think it was not a great first rookie Kona attempt as a professional. I'd been there as an age grouper before, but never as a pro. And yet, to be honest with you, because of this practice, I was able to really back away from the performance side and really treasure and feel the joy of each moment and having my family out on the Queen K and really just soak in the moment. I am here. I am doing this. I'm doing the best I can for how my body feels today. And honestly, I'm getting so much joy and gratitude because I'm really present. I'm really right here, right now. And when I crossed the finish line, it was truly the moment where I felt, oh my gosh, I am enough. I'm enough. I'm enough in my heart and in my soul and as a human. And it was such a beautiful, wonderful experience. It just seemed like God was saying, now it's time to end your professional career and start a new chapter. And I couldn't think of a better way. And it's so funny because if you asked me several years ago, if this was your Kona experience, I would have thought, what a disaster. But honestly, it was the best most amazing race. And it's so interesting because you've been to Kona before as an age grouper and you were champion of your age group. So you were world champion at, was it 25 to 29? You were the age group world champion. Still not enough though. You still weren't enough. That's right. And now (laughs) you had to go through all of this you know, 30 minutes a day for six months, 10 days, 10 hours a day. On the last day, when the gong rings, you surrender and you step into an alignment to realize a dream that you've had your whole life. Exactly. And the dream was not lessened because of the time clock or the performance, because the real performance was the one that you were having within your own self and your response to how the day was unfolding. And it was a total victory. That's right. It's exactly It's amazing. And then you said, I'm out. You pulled like the George George Costanza, right? Right. Like, I'm out, going out on top, going out on top. I'm out. I love it. Did you feel really peaceful with your – did you know that you were going to retire? Did you have a feeling that that was going to happen? I kept praying. God, make it abundantly clear. 
just make it abundantly clear. What should I do? <laughs> and I really, he made it so clear. I could feel it in my body. This is what you should do. Because you were aligned with, you are now aligned with that energy. This is the thing. You weren't lucky. It wasn't like you had a, a moment that would, you know, it was, you had been aligning yourself with that God energy. Let's just say it what it is. It's the God energy that's within you. When you align with that energy, that God energy that's within you, you will be able to hear the information that is coming from that energy. It's a subtle energy. It's much more subtle. So we have, it's like a, a radio, right? We have to tune our frequency so that we can hear it's, I'm, it's getting this vision of like the overseas communications, like in World War II, right? Like you had to like mm -hmm. tune in the radio because it's coming from a really far place. And it's so funny because it's in you the whole time, but we haven't learned to tune our frequencies. It just so happened that your journey said, it is abundantly clear that I'm going to be taking a new primary role in triathlon, that might not be everybody. It doesn't mean that if you meditate, you have to stop competing. No, right? definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Right? It doesn't mean that. It just means that you are tuned into the frequency of the highest power that there is, the highest intelligence that there is, the highest level of love, kindness, compassion, knowledge, light. I mean, you are attuning to the energy of everything, the energy that creates worlds. And that's how you got your message. You weren't praying for it for desperation, which I believe I've done. Like, please, show me the way. You know, it's like desperate. All that's going to do is give me more desperation. But you took the time to tune the frequency. And when the message came, you received it with great joy. Exactly. Yes. How is your role changing in, in triathlon? What do you want to, because you're still contributing to the sport. You had been a coach leading, a, this isn't new, but what, what are you now, like what do you want to contribute to the sport? So I am a coach, like you said, but I really want to contribute this meditation, mindfulness practice to athletes so that they can align and they can find their inner voice or whatever you want to call it because that's when you're going to hit your athletic potential. And yeah. that's where you're going to hit your life potential, your greatest self. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so pervasive. It, it's everywhere in your life. It's not just in your athletics. It's in the way you eat. It's in the way mm -hmm. you shop online. It's in the way that you choose to watch something on Netflix. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to rewatch season one of Sopranos. It doesn't mean, it just means that you're doing things with more consciousness. Yes. Exactly. I was really fearful that this meditation was going to be a very boring life. That was a huge fear of mine at the beginning that I was going to be really boring. I was just going to be drinking ice water and like wearing grog, like boring clothes and living a boring life. And that has not been my experience. No, you find so much more joy just in a shower, feeling <laughs> the water on your head and really being with that. There's so much wonderfulness in a shower. <laughs> but we miss it because we're in our thoughts. And so it's actually seeing the joy in the small moments, a hug. Like, Are you really there for a hug? Or are you waiting for it to be over? Are you waiting for it to be over? Or are you, or are you not even realizing it's happening because it's so mm -hmm. automatic? You're 
it's a thought you've thought about so much that you're just hugging or you're saying goodbye or, you know, something we say is that's so crazy that happened. And it's just a saying that I don't, it's not crazy. It happened. It's exactly the way it's supposed to happen. So we catch each other and we're like, no, it's not crazy. <laughs> so it's right. We're getting, it's an awakening. That's it's, it's an awake. Like we're just shaking and waking up um, the endurance sports community. That's pretty much what it is. I'm so glad that you're doing it too. Well, thank you. In my experience, it's a brave path. In your experience, what what has this taught you so far? Like bringing this to athletes, have you had resistance? Well, I've been doing it in a trainer series, and it's interesting. I think they didn't really have a choice. They're on their trainer and they're listening, <laughs> so they kind of maybe tuned me out. But over time. Week after week, I keep getting feedback. Oh my gosh, I'm actually really liking this. Oh wow, I didn't know I had been compensating on my bike and now I can feel that and I'm able to push more power. And so my group is really kind and sweet and they never said that they hated it. (laughs) But uh, over time, it has been very clear that they're truly enjoying it and they're seeing huge benefits, not only on the bike, but in the rest of their lives as well. Now we did, we threw around a big word. We threw around the, the G word. We threw around the God word yes, a little bit in this did. podcast. And I know in my experience, and I think BJ can would agree with this in his own experience that it took a while for me to be able to use that word be, because I didn't have a relationship with it. It felt like to me before God felt like a figure that was going to judge me. It felt like I was separate from it. I was scared to death of it. And now I real like I have a relationship now with it that's that's very very different. And so I'm interested to know what your definition of God is. I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. So for me, God is love, and it's this all loving. And you could look at it as Mother Nature, or you could look at it as there's different words you could replace Buddha. Maybe it's somebody who really you think fondly of, it doesn't have to be God, but it, it's almost like resourcing into a higher, it doesn't have to be a higher power. It could just be mother earth. But what is it that drives you? It could be just purely love. Mm-hmm. Are you separate from God? No. For people who are uncomfortable with that word, what could you say to them to give them permission to be uncomfortable with that word? For someone who's uncomfortable with that word, just replace it with something that feels right for you. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, compassion, loving kindness, gentleness. What is a word that really resonates with you? And just be with that. Have you lost your edge from meditation? I'm pausing here because on paper, you would say yes, because I don't have that cutthroat attitude. But that doesn't mean I've lost my edge. It's almost more powerful. It takes a lot of courage to race from compassion and love. And that's such a powerful energy. And maybe that's the word that you replace with energy. All the different sensations, they're just energy. And so I think ultimately, I found my edge, but I didn't know that at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have the same experience. I was very scared that I was going to lose my edge because I was very attached to that identity. I haven't lost it. It's under control. It's well, I shouldn't say it's always under control. <laughs> it's as under control as I can. I can manage it to be at some times because just my the constitution of my physical being is fire. Uh, but I've learned to cool that fire. And uh, in fact, I had a red shirt on before this conversation. I put the red shirt on. I was like, it's too fiery. Like, I can't. I can't. I got to put a more cooling color on. I mean, that's how how I attend to this this human that I need to manage is I, you know, I understand the what is going on in this body and she's fiery and it's not always helpful. And so that's where the compassion pieces come in. But uh, no, I, I don't believe that I've lost my edge. It's shifted and it's morphed and it's, it's way more allowing of love. I don't want to say it's more loving because that love has always been within me. But it's the allowing, the allowing of the love to receive it, to give it, and to bring it into competition, to bring it into endurance sports, to bring it into a five-hour workout, to bring it into when I wake up in the middle of the night, my Achilles is throbbing, you know, to not move (laughs) into fear, but to move into an increase. I'm always like, what is in there? There is something nasty that I have been completely blinded to, and someday I'm going to know what it is. But for now, I'm going to love it. I'm just going to love it. So we are uh, pretty close with Enie Jones. And um, she said that she had worked with you. And she sent us a message about you. And she said that, these are Enie's words, she is lovely. She is all heart and very kind. She uses meditation to move through competition, center herself, and it turns her presence into calm so that she may soothe others. She has two strong power sources, God and her husband, Jeff. Ask her how she met him. (laughs) (laughs) And as you're smiling, she sent a second text that said, I didn't mention her smile, but it can lead you out of a dark place. Oh, that's sweet. Well, first off, Eenie's so And she's so tapped in. She's so So tapped tapped in. in. So tapped in and so talented. And I feel so blessed to have been able to work with her. That was an amazing experience. But how did I meet my husband? We met in high school and we ran the, on the cross country team together. And it's interesting. He had just broken up with his girlfriend that day. I mean, we're in high school. And I didn't know <laughs> if he was still dating her or not. And so I went up to him because I had a massive crush. And I said, hey, Jeff, are you still dating your girlfriend? He's like, as of this morning, actually, no. (laughs) And I said, well, will you go to homecoming with me? (laughs) I love it. So that was our very first real date. We actually didn't even go to homecoming because he had bad experiences with dances. So we just went on a date together and and we, we dated for 11 years. We've been married for almost six. He is my soulmate. There's no doubt about it. It's beautiful. What does he think about? What does he think about your transformation? What do you know? What he has seen in you that's different, that's transformed. So he has seen that I've been less reactive and more grounded. He has told me that he's seen that I've been more compassionate. He's he's all in favor. He loves it. As a matter of fact, he was supposed to do a vipassana 
and he was signed up. He had his ticket, but then COVID hit and that got canceled. So I do foresee him doing one in the future. And, and I don't believe he'd do that if he didn't see some changes. So you are, are you now enrolled in that course, the original course that um, yes. spoke to your soul? Yes, I am. I'm actually <laughs> in my second year and I'm building my practicum. So I'll be teaching here soon and we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm very excited. That's amazing. That's amazing. So when someone comes to coach with you, do you do one-on-one coaching or group coaching or both? So I do one-on coaching and group coaching. And if somebody comes and works with you, are they going to have to meditate? No, I'm not going to force anyone to do something that they don't want to do. I would highly encourage them and then over time revisit it. But I think you've got to be ready. You've got to want it first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're going to find, though, that people are going to come to you because of that. And it doesn't matter how many. It's just planting the seeds, planting the seeds. And um, for us, for Yogi Trathli, it's non-negosh. You're getting meditation on your plan. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But to, to, but that it's not scary because for some people it's what BJ, what's like the most like five breaths, five breaths, five conscious breaths before they put their feet on the, on the, on the ground. There you go. Everybody. I, I mean, we're breathing all the time, right? And what's really so why can't you just bring consciousness right. to five breaths? And, and then for some people, it's 45 minutes or an hour. It's But it's what they've built up and what they want more of. And it's what's always accessible. We, we're on to it. We know. Like you can, you can throw some stuff at us. You can say why it isn't working. <laughs> but we have experienced it ourselves after living on the road and in a car for six months traveling across the country. But we've also, we have in a wide array of athletes already, like moms that will sneak into the the closet in their bedroom because they don't want to wake their kids. They have a pillow all set up. They have their blanket and a little timer. And if that's the five minutes that they have before they enter the jungle, then um, <laughs> then that's what they do. So there's there's always a way. But yes, we you know there is the resistance. Sometimes there is that go looking the other way because it be, because it becomes too uncomfortable. But that's what we're here to serve. We're here to challenge, to challenge them and to, to bring out that, that greatness that's inside. And it starts with being still, sitting still and, and being quiet and calm and embracing the sensations and thoughts that are happening in that moment. Exactly. Because even the five breaths or even one breath is going to be so profoundly transformative in your life because like you said, it's that pause. It's the pause. It's just bringing conscious. It's not. You're not doing anything new. You're still bre- You're breathing all the time. You're just bringing attention to your breath for five of those breaths, and then step into your day. So, for for us, it is a non-negotiable. But it's it's so approachable. It's so. It's like you're not. We're not asking you to add anything. Just keep breathing. Just do five it. of them and pay attention to it. That's it. It's it's so it's accessible to everyone at all at all levels. I love what you're bringing to the world. I thank you for bringing it to the world. I love your story. I'm so grateful that your soul came here to this earth to experience all that hardship, all that unworthiness, so that you could wake up from it. It's just it's beautiful. What do you want to leave our listeners with today? What do you want them to take away from this conversation? Like you said, 
everyone can do it. You can start with just three or five breaths. It's simple. And when you practice it over and over and over, that's the key. You can't just do five breaths once and think that you're going to have it forever. You've got to keep doing it and be kind, be gentle to yourself. And, and when you observe, observe non-judgmentally. How do they begin to do that? How so, do they do it non-judgmentally? One of my favorite practices is RAIN. R-A-I-N. So R is recognize. So you recognize what are the feelings or emotions that you're feeling at the moment. Maybe it's anxiety, stress, happiness, joy. So you recognize then A is allow. You allow it to be there. Oh, I see you. I feel you stress. I feel you joy. I is investigate. How do you feel it in your body? What is actually happening in your body? Is it a hot, cold, heavy, light sensation? Maybe it's tingling, itchy. What are you feeling in your body? And then N is nurture. And it's going into your heart and saying, what do you want from me right now? And also knowing that you are not alone in your feelings or those emotions of fear, anxiety. It's human. It's natural. And we all experience those at points. So how do you do it non-judgmentally? You say, oh, I see you. It's okay. It's okay. I can be with this. That's perfect. That's perfect. Full circle too is, you know, our, our intent here is I've felt very alone before. I bet when you were in the height of this diagnosis and the unknown, probably felt very alone. And um, our intent is that nobody ever feels alone ever again, because we're all just trying to figure this out. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. And we're all interconnected. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh man, we are. Awesome, Danielle. Thank you so much. This is a beautiful conversation. I can't wait to share it with the world. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep stepping it up and challenging yourself in this new way. You've got everything it takes. You're a champion. So it's like we take that will and that discipline and that commitment and that ability to challenge ourselves and then we take it into stillness. And that's really where the greatness is unveiled. So thank you. Thank you both so much. It's been such a pleasure. And I really, really appreciate you for offering this for years. You've been doing this for a long time. And so you're kind of like, you're breaking the path for everyone else. Yeah, so yeah we're, a, we're a little battered. We've gotten a little battered <laughs> along the way, but um, it's okay. We just keep, you know, get a flat tire, just change the tire and you get back on the road. You know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going away. We are not going away. I love stronger. it. <laughs> <laughs>